Joining me is the director at the Center for Risk Analysis, uh, John Endress. Thanks so much for your time. Uh, I want to take us to a risk alert that came from the Center for Risk Analysis, looking at the volume one of the state capture inquiries uh, report that's come out recently. Um, what What is your immediate reaction to this uh, very voluminous document? Uh, what are some of the standout points? Let's start there. I think for me, one of the standout points, thank you, Mike, is that South Africa does occupy quite a special position in the sense that we have a very high degree of transparency into malfeasance in the public sector, but unfortunately it is not associated with an equally high degree of accountability and consequences for whatever misdeeds are identified. And I think that the state capture report really falls into the South African tradition. Uh, we know that over the past years we've seen phenomenal work by our investigative journalists who have brought to light many, many uh, examples of corruption and corrupt activities in the government, but with very little to show for it in terms of prosecutions. And the Zondo Commission, I think, has given the imprimatur of a legal investigation of the uh, allegations of wrongdoing. And with that, I think, carries a lot of weight, uh, maybe even more weight than uh, the, the journalist investigations would have done. But ultimately, there weren't that many really new or novel revelations in the report. I think much of what is contained in it was in the public domain already. Uh, but it now, you know, seems a lot more substantial and also substantive. You know, it's an over 800 page report. And that is only page one, uh, sorry, part one. And uh, yeah, I'm sure there's going to be lots more to come in parts two and three which we also look forward to with uh, great expectations, I think. Yeah, John, and it's also a learning process. Uh, I, so I sat at the state capture inquiry for almost two years, and it, it, the, the South African public needs to be educated about what these commissions of inquiry uh, can actually do. A, a lot of people were questioning, why are there not arrests after somebody testifies on the stand and is a very poor witness? Uh, but of course, that is an inquisitorial process and not an adversarial process as a court of law. There is a distinction that needs to be made there. So there is value for the South African public out of this sort of a document. But how do you think the ANC has handled it in, in the wake of the release of this report? Well, again, um, I think most, most of the revelations were known already. Um, the expectation, I think, on the part of the public is that consequences should now follow um, at some stage, at some speed. We should be seeing some, uh, seeing some prosecutions, uh, you know, some court proceedings, maybe some uh, convictions and maybe some punishment. But already Guido Montasha, I think, was quick to cast cold water on those hopes by saying that the report should really be used to assist the ANC in its renewal and helping it to learn from its mistakes of the past uh, and trying to clear, create a very clear distinction between the old ANC that did all these terrible things and the new ANC that's starting today is going to turn over a new leaf and uh, be a much better organization, which of course it also needs to be if it wants to improve its electoral fortunes, which really uh, declined quite severely in the local government elections last year. The question is how much credence one can put in uh, Guido Montache's words and also those of his colleagues. I think um, it certainly is their preference for the report not to be used in a prosecutorial sense. 
Um, and I think that they are going to make a big effort to ensure that that is the case. Um, and I also think that they do actually hold most of the Trump cards and will be able to delay, postpone, drag out, dilute attention to such an extent that most of the people fingered in the report will be able to um, escape consequences. I mean, it's ludicrous. What was the point of of the state capture inquiry if, we, if it wasn't to help to clean out the rot within society, within government, within the within the private sector? And the ANC, of course, falls within that. If you go through an entire one billion rand process and all that happens is it helps to unify the party, that's not the purpose. Of, of an inquiry of this form, but it, it would appear that it, it sort of falls within the notion that the ANC loves the notion of collective responsibility. I remember after their, their poor showing in the local government elections, nobody ever wanted to point the finger at former President Jacob Zuma for their decline in electoral results. They said, we as the NEC, we as a party will take collective responsibility, except you can't put the party on trial. Individuals need to be singled out and need to stand in the dock. Speaking of standing in the dock, is our National Prosecuting Authority capacitated, resourced to be able to handle the prosecutions that should at least stem from a document like this uh, Volume 1 report? Well, I think it is certainly not equipped with sufficient resources to investigate everything contained in the report. Um, I think the allegations are so vast and so far-reaching that it would take a vastly larger agency to investigate all of them. But I certainly think it would be able to focus on a few high-profile cases and try to um, achieve some results in those cases. But we have seen a great reluctance, I think, on the part of the NPA to handle politically sensitive cases. Um, And unfortunately, that has been uh, part of its history for a long time, part of its DNA. Um, uh, I think Sean Abrams was the predecessor of the the incumbent uh, as the director, the national director of public prosecutions, who was who gained a reputation, I think, for being quite inactive and not really getting much done. Uh, high expectations, I think, uh, were created when the current incumbent Shamila Batoy took over office, but sadly those have also not come to very much. As a matter of fact, I believe that the budget allocation for the NPA was reduced uh, in the latest uh, um, budget speech. And uh, it uh, is really not, not, not a very strong sign that there is great appetite to capacitate the NPA and put it in a position where it is able to prosecute independently, fearlessly and effectively. Yeah, well, if we just look at, at budget allocation, um, National Prosecuting Authority, which is the prosecutorial arm of the state, budget down, budget cut. The investigating uh, arm of the state, the Hawks, budget cut. VIP budget goes up. It just shows you where the priorities lie in the government. Um, As part of your your risk alert as the CRA, you've mentioned there that you're not entirely convinced that there's going to be an overwhelming change, at least from a political point of view, in the wake of, of this report, because a critical mass of the leadership of the governing party, the ANC, is involved in that dubious network that is being fingered here is that is that is that in a nutshell what you're saying they're not going to act as their own jailers here it's not there's no incentive for them to do that yeah i think it would be hugely dangerous for the anc to really um, endorse and encourage prosecutions 
because so many of its own leading figures would be identified and targeted. Um, and it would, you know, decimate the top leadership of the party. Uh, it would cause a great, um, I think, unraveling of whatever unity remains there as various parties would start uh, uh, pointing fingers at each other uh, and trying to prevent, save their own skins by um, pointing out the misdeeds of their colleagues. We did a, an analysis last year on the NEC, um, the ANC's top decision-making body, which has, I think, 80 ordinary members, and found that 41 of those members were uh, accused in the media of being involved in corrupt activities serious enough to warrant a jail sentence. So it's over half of the NEC. And you can imagine that in that situation, for anybody to take an active move on corruption would just be unpalatable and I think far too difficult to do. So my hopes uh, that we will see any consequences arising out of the Zondo Commission's investigations or coming from the NPA are unfortunately quite low. Yeah, Alec has a saying, it would be akin to Turkey's voting for Christmas, um, which I think is, is quite nice. Uh, you also mention, quote-unquote, the grand theatre of the state capture report and how it diverts attention away from current corruption and malfeasance and shenanigans going on. There's a kind of a belief, and the media uh, is responsible for this. When Ramaphosa came in, it was the new dawn. There was Ramaphoria, and it helped to be able to point the finger at the old um, administration under former President Jacob Zuma to say those were the guys that were corrupt and that were responsible for malfeasance. But we are new. We're the new broom sweeping clean has it done that? Has the new administration done that? No, I can't really say that it does. Um, you do see a, a couple of commentators here and there uh, picking out some examples of uh, a little bit of prosecutions here and there. But I think really it is grand theatre. Um, it is designed to distract the attention of the public and also of the media to make us believe that something is happening, uh, while in reality the corruption is ongoing um, and really has not, not, not declined very much. You know, consider that the PPE corruption, which occurred on a vast scale, was long after the era of Jacob Zuma. Um, and uh, there are plenty of allegations still in the public domain about present day corruption. So I think that the ANC's tactic is going to be to try to draw attention to past misdeeds to some extent, maybe find some scapegoats that can be hung out to dry and say that corruption is now really being decisively fought and combated but that is something we should not let ourselves be distracted by. This really is uh, pure makeup, pure cosmetics. It is grand theatre. It is not the substance of the thing. So, John, I'm, I'm looking at an article about one particular individual, Vujasile Nzeko, who, who worked for Swissport SA. He was a director there. He uh, worked at JM Aviation as a director there. He sprang to notoriety on the Internet after testifying in August 2020 at the State Capture Inquiry for not being able to remember anything let alone when he got married and you know as journalists who were covering that we were joking that that he'd be more he's likely to be more in trouble with his wife than he is with law enforcement in this country and that was the sad state of affairs that there was so little hope that law enforcement would actually be able to act against people who were so poor on the stand and he's just one of a, a vast 
um, cast of characters who proved themselves so incompetent, so untrustworthy, and so underwhelming for their leadership skills and knowing what something like fiduciary responsibilities are. The state capture inquiry, it cost us as the taxpayer over a billion rand. Was it worth it, in your opinion, if you consider, as, as uh, your, your risk alert said, that over a trillion rand was spirited out of the country? Was it worth it, do you think? I think it's, it's worth thinking back to the origins of the state capture inquiry. Um, you'll remember that public protector Tuli Madonsela at the time, as one of her final acts of office, um, published the State of Comfort report, in which she basically said that a, a commission of inquiry needed to be established to be appointed by then President Jacob Zuma, which the president did, in order to investigate these allegations of state capture. And I think where it has unfolded certain benefits is that it has uh, drawn a spotlight to the uh, corruption that went on during Jacob Zuma's period in office. Um, it has documented it in quite a lot of detail. And uh, if in future there is to be some prosecution, I think all of the material that was collected was very valuable and very helpful. But it is one feels a bit cheated, um, as if it were slim pickings, considering the amount of effort that you know the the uh, deputy um, judge uh, president Zondo went to, uh, how many advocates had to spend time there, how many people were on the stands, uh, you know, all the effort involved in collecting information and testimony. Um, one would like to have a bit more of a payoff at the end of that process than what we are seeing at the moment. So not completely wasted, I think, but certainly not uh, as productive as it might have been or as one would hope for it to be. The reaction from the so-called radical economic transformation side of the ANC, faction of the ANC, the RET forces, uh, the Jacob Zumas, the Karl Niehauses, the Mzwanele Manis, those who uh, were painted in a very poor light uh, by the State Capture Report, uh, Volume 1. Has their reaction been almost predictable? And do you expect that um, we are going to see some sort of a judicial review of, of the, the final findings when Volume 3 comes out? Do you think there's going to be a judicial review of this whole process? I'm not expecting that, Mike. Um, I, I might be surprised. Um, it could happen. But my feeling is that uh, once the third volume has been published, everybody will draw a very great sigh of relief and say, well, at least we've dealt with state capture. Now we can move on with our lives. Whereas the reality, of course, is that state capture has not been dealt with. Um, it is just the report that we've got. Uh, and maybe under a future administration, it will prove to be helpful. Um, but I don't think that under the present administration, it will. The administration will be able to say that they ticked that box. We had this commission of inquiry. We received the reports. And I suspect there's going to be a lot of small fish thrown under the bus, though. You must admit that. Yes, I think that that certainly is the case. And maybe even the one or other high profile person as well. Um, you know, if you think of, of Esma Khashule uh, and his uh, legal troubles, I think that is one example where, you know, the ANC would like to be able to point to that and say, look, it's not true that we don't go after our senior leaders or allow the authorities to do so. Just look at, at Mr. Mahashule. You know, he's facing his, his trials and tribulations right now. But I still think even that is a scapegoat. And even this is still designed to distract attention um, and allow the ANC to have something to point to 
in terms of dealing with corruption, but it really is not substantive and it is not something that is earnestly meant. Mike. The the president's reaction um, when he gave his address over the weekend as part of the 110th uh, celebration um, of the of the ANC. Um, did you expect? Was it a bit of a muted um, response from him? Did you expect a little bit more? And does the party seem to be talking out of both sides of its mouth? If you consider Gwenda Montashe as part of the ANC's top six. Um, a very powerful figure with, within the party. And then the president is saying one thing, he is saying another. Does it not seem to be a very unified response to this report? Yes, I think you're right. There is some, some contradiction involved in what we're seeing coming out of the ANC. But partly that might be by design as well, because it fudges the facts. It makes it more difficult to understand what exactly the ANC's position is. It makes it more difficult to attack that position. Uh, and it allows the ANC to defend itself. You know, if it gets accused of, 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 of being on the wrong side from one perspective, it can always say, no, we have another side um, as expressed by the other leader. Um, so I think the fudging is, is part of the game. Um, I wouldn't expect too much consistency to come out of it. But uh, I also thought that the president's address was lackluster. And um, we discussed this at work yesterday whether the ANC is nearing its end. Um, and the reason I posed that question to my colleagues was that I'm just not seeing much energy in terms of renewal, unity, new ideas, um, you know, how to get out of the hole that it finds itself in at the moment. Um, and I think President Ramaphosa's speech was a reflection of that. You know, it didn't seem very strong, very full of conviction, very enthusiastic, very inspiring. It was pretty much run-of-the-mill renewal, you know, unity, uh, discipline, all good. But, you know, where, where's, where, where's the action? Where, where's it happening? We didn't really see that. It's tricky. It leaves him in a situation where he can't act too harshly. Uh, and, of course, he wouldn't act. But the, the National Prosecuting Authority can't act too harshly against his comrades because he's got a man who's, who's eyeing the second term as, as a prize. I mean, again, there we, we, we've seen some media reports about the RET faction, so-called becoming very worried by um, its members having been sent to Zondo to testify and having been hung out to dry. Uh, and the, the speculation being that therefore the knives are out for Ramaphosa and uh, every attempt will be made to get rid of him in the December um, party uh, election conference. But our assessment is that Ramaphosa's position is actually quite strong. And the reason for that is his favorability ratings and his popularity amongst South Africans. So even though the ANC is declining in popularity, Mr. Ramaphosa's popularity is remaining at a very high level. And he is therefore a very strong draw card for the ANC, for the party. Uh, and it will battle a, a great deal. It will find it very difficult to perform well in the 2024 elections if it does not have Mr. Ramaphosa leading it. And therefore, he, we think at this stage he is likely to, to make the running in 2022, because the party realizes that that is in its best interests. John Andrews from the Center for Risk Analysis. It's a great pleasure chatting to you. Thank you. Thank you very much, Mike.